Welcome to the All Things Performance Podcast, where our goal is to stay hungry, to get better, and to move the meter. My name is Josiah Igano, and whether you're looking to improve physically, to get fed spiritually, or to challenge yourself mentally, we're digging deep to find those gems, and we're going to find them. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's go. Hope everybody's doing well. Today I am joined with Renee Bahati Klug. You've likely heard me on other podcasts with Renee. This conversation is a little bit different in that she's actually interviewing me during the Olympics of 2021. So as many of you remember, the Olympics was canceled because of COVID and we're talking in this particular podcast about mental health, Simone Biles, mental toughness, the pulling out of Simone Biles and how that had a huge ripple effect, not only in pop culture, but in sport. Uh, We hit on several constructs that many people aren't talking about, but then we also talk about some of the popular things that are going around that might be misnomers or half-truths or (laughs) non-truths. So I hope that you guys get a lot out of this conversation. It's a very rich conversation, and it's a thought-provoking one as well. So without further ado, we get it right into today's conversation. All right, all right, all right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I am excited today. We are doing something a little bit different. Um, uh, my friend uh, Renee Bahati Klug, ABD, all but dissertation. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We're going to start calling her doctor here pretty soon, right? <laughs> Uh, she is here, and she's going to actually interview me and put me on the hot seat. How about that, huh? Renee, how are you doing today? I am doing well, Dr. Igano. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I don't know what you have up your sleeve, but here we go. <laughs> you know, I've got some good questions up my sleeve. First of all, I want to say thank you for allowing me to call of your expertise. I think that this is this is a long time coming, and I'm excited to do it. So the reason why we thought this was a good idea was because this week, we're at the end of July of 21, And Simone Biles, who people have been calling the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Mm -hmm. a world-class Olympian, she decided to pull out of the Olympics, and she cited mental health reasons. Mm -hmm. She had a situation where she was, was, oh gosh, what is it called when she twirls in the air and she can't find her spot? They call them, I believe they call them the twisties. The twisties, The twisties, yes. I was going to say spinnies, but I think the twisties <laughs> is the more. <laughs> um, but in any case, and she really feared uh, that she would take down her team and maybe she would even have injury. So Josiah, you are an expert in mental toughness. That's what your dissertation was on and especially in elite sport performance. Mm-hmm. And can you talk about um, what mental toughness is and whether or not you think Simone Biles exhibited that in her decision to pull out this week? Wow. Just out of the gate, huh? Out the gate. Wow. Oh, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> so when you look at mental toughness, first of all, that's a great question. When you, when you, when you look at mental toughness, mental toughness is one's ability uh, basically to overcome adversity in the midst of stressors, right? In the midst mm-hmm. of adversity. There are several definitions that exist, but let's just use that uh, simple definition uh, for this conversation, right? It's, the, it's one's ability to overcome adversity in stressful situations, re- regardless of what those stressors are, whether they're physical, whether they're mental, and things like that. Uh, now, when you start uh, looking at mental toughness, right, mental toughness is a byproduct. I want people to mm-hmm. understand this, right? It is a byproduct of other things that culminate in this recipe into this output, if you will, of mental toughness. So um, the, the, way I, the way I look at it is it's kind of like health, right? Health. Health is something that is free from sickness and or disease. You don't just wake up and say, hey, I'm going to be healthy today. I'm going to be healthy, right? You, you don't just, you don't just uh, get healthy, right? Health is a byproduct of how much sleep that you've been getting. It's a byproduct of what you've been consuming. It's a byproduct of, um, your, you know, uh, your environment. It is a byproduct of some of the environmental, internal, and external stressors that you're experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And guess what? If you change your inputs, you eventually change your outputs. And then you get this thing that we covet called health, right? Mental toughness is the exact same recipe. Uh, When you start looking at the literature, mental toughness, there's four main components that we always seem to see in the literature. Number one, it's confidence, right? The belief of the certainty that I have in something. Uh, Challenge, 
right? Challenge. We call them the four C's. The, the second C is challenge. Challenge is how I, uh, in, at a very, you know, basal level, it's, it's is to what extent I see an opportunity as a learning experience, as a challenge. Some people may look at the bottle, right? Uh, or they may look at a scene. I'm, I'm, I'm showing the viewers, for those who are watching visually, you know, you see one side of the bottle, but I see another side of the bottle. Some, mm -hmm. some, some people may see a glass half full. Others people see yeah. a glass, uh, you know, uh, half empty, right? How do, you, how do you look at challenges? Control. Mm -hmm. To what extent are you able to have control over your life. Do you have internal locus of control? Do you have external mm. locus of control? Right? How well, my friends, are you able to uh, emit feelings of, of, of uh, vigor, of vitality, of strength, of joy, of victory, and yeah. mask other uh, maladaptive emotions such as disgust, shame, anguish, mm -hmm. guilt, right? Um, and then uh, you, you have commitment, right? Mm. At its basic definition how willing my friends are you able to stick this out all the way to the end and when you look at all of those four things commitment challenge confidence and control they yield this trait that we so covet that we so desire called mental toughness mm -hmm. and so sometimes we have to even take a deeper dive into those specific areas and say okay what happened here what happened there um, and so you know her decision we don't know what those are until we get her on this podcast. And Simone Biles, if you're listening, we'd love to have you. Yeah. You know, um, until we hear from her, which I know a lot of people are, are, are you know, uh, lining up to, to hear some of you know, her mm -hmm. responses post-Olympics, uh, you know, we're, we're not going to know. So when you start looking at mental toughness, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And I appreciate, you know, your neutral and gracious answer. And there, you know, there's been obviously commentary come straight out the gate from the Twitter and the Instagram and the Facebook mm -hmm. and the TikTok and everything. But something that did come up that I really found helpful was a comparison of what's happening in 2021, not just with Simone Biles, but also with Naomi Osaka, who's a tennis mm -hmm. player who decided not to uh, do um, interviews or, or right after a match because she cited again mental health. It, this mm -hmm. is not healthy for me and I'm not going to do this. And we now juxtapose these two events that happened during the summer of 2021 with what happened during the Olympics during 1996 mm -hmm. when the women's female gymnasts led by Carrie Strug was asked by her then coach, uh, Bella, oh gosh. Caroli, right? Caroli. Thank you, Bella Caroli. Yeah. Um, thank you. To, um, to do the second vault, even though she was already injured. She asked him and even pled with her eyes, do I have to do this? And he said, yes, although we now know that the United States was ahead, that her second vault actually wasn't necessary for them mm -hmm. to secure the gold. We know this now. I don't. I imagine they knew it then. I don't know what technology looked like in 1996. Um, and Carrie Strug actually, she, she she did it. The vault. We most of us marveled. I remember this. Mm -hmm. However, she was 18 years old, and she retired right after that because she injured herself out of a career. Yeah. People and who led her off that mat, Dr. Yagano? Larry Nasser, hmm. the man who was found guilty of molesting n not only Simone Biles, but oh likely gosh. also Carrie Strug. Wow. Right? So we look at this very toxic and abusive culture, mm -hmm. just with Larry Nasser and the sexual stuff. With, 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 we know that Simone Biles recently has come out. She did not want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I read an interview that did talk about how she finally broke down and needed to tell her mom mm -hmm. after kind of, maybe she repressed it. Those might be my words, not hers. Um, and so now she's dealing with this on top of everything else. Mm -hmm. And again, juxtaposing with what happened during 96, where it felt like maybe an environment of, of due pressure, knowing that these are the best of the best, mm -hmm. coupled with this very toxic environment. Carrie Strug, again, she was under 18. Simone Biles is 24. And they, the two women made these decisions. Yeah. 
And the question here is, what do you make of this? And I know that this is these are huge. This is a huge situation that I'm putting before you, but it is so vitally important to talk about. I think. I think right now, in light of culture, of women, of the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. and in autonomy, and also really looking at what is health. So, yeah. I know that was a lot of kind of yeah, background, but I, yeah, but no, I but present no, it, it to you. No, thank you. So. So when you start, first of all, I need to say this, right? So I grew up playing football. I come from a football culture. You know what I'm saying? I come from, I would say, a very mentally tough family with my mom, my dad, what they've been through, what they've taught us as brothers, me and all my brothers. Um, and so I would say that, you know, given that definition that we shared in the, in the outset, I would say that many coaches, right, want their athletes to be mentally tough. Now, the opposite of mental mm-hmm. toughness is mental sensitivity, which is a completely different uh, topic. And you, we hear coaches say it all the time, if you're, there's a difference between being hurt and injured, right? Mm-hmm. The great ones play hurt, but if you're injured, that's another, you know, you're injured, right? My bones, tendons, muscles, and ligaments aren't doing what they're supposed to do. You're injured. Okay, you're out, right? But you're supposed mm-hmm. to play hurt. I don't know what Caroli said to her. I, you know, in terms of the specifics, I don't know how badly she was hurt. Um, and mental toughness, one of the things I wrote about in my dissertation is that is too much mental toughness a bad thing, mm. right? Because sometimes, as we see in, in high-level performance, performances, there are stories about leg- legendary stories, right, of, you know, football players, you know, playing on, on torn ACLs and biting off fingers and, and playing with no teeth. Look at the hockey players that we deal with today and just all these yeah. things, you know, uh, Super Bowl champions, uh, NBA Finals champions, these individuals, these athletes of renown who are playing hurt, some of them playing injured. Yeah. What are the long-term effects of that? You yeah. know, um, I think that Simone Biles' situation is different than Carrie Strug's situation. Yeah. I think it's different. You know, um, I think that one was more so mental while the other one was physical. But again, without getting both of them on a podcast or asking them, we will never know. Uh, I think I I also believe that there's a conflation of both. Right. There's physical and mental. Many people. One thing I need to say is that these 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 gymnasts that we're talking about, they are performing some of the most dangerous athletic maneuvers of any Mm -hmm. athlete. Yes. They are putting, they are actually defying, our brain does two primary things. It wants to protect us and it wants to predict what's about to happen. Mm. And gymnasts are defying that every time they jump into the air. They're defying it. They're saying, uh, we know that we're, you know, we're going, we're, go- we're throwing caution to the wind. Yes. By these jumps and these revolutions and, and, and how my vestibular system and my balance is, is, is actually, I'm defying all you know, normalcy by doing this move and, you know, it becomes really hard to predict. And, and, and you know, uh, what's her name? Uh, Simone Biles. But Simone Biles said she had the case of the twisties. Yes. I'm sorry, but <laughs> if you're a gymnast and you are defying the, law, the very laws of nature every time that you compete and, they're, and you feel like you're off, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm with the gymnast on this one. Yeah, I'm sorry. Which means what? To, hey, if, if it's if if you need to take a day, you better take yeah. a day. Yeah, you, you know what exactly. I mean. You know how many? You know how many? Uh, uh, gym, I saw gymnasts falling on their face, like yeah. literally on their face. This Olympics, and I'm sitting here like, yo, how is her mouth not all bloodied up right now? How does she yeah. not have a broken nose? Yeah. And they're defying gravity, defying science like just the laws of nature by what they do you know what i'm saying and so yes um i want to say that and then another thing i want to say too in terms of you know naomi osaka because that was a very uh interesting uh turn of events as well if if you this i say this in defense of athletes okay Mm -hmm. if you have never been a high-performing athlete if you've never coached a high-performing athlete and if you've never walked alongside high-performing athletes please Leave that conversation to those who have. It's true. Because at the end of the day, these athletes face far more than people realize. They live in, in a fishbowl. 
everything that they're doing, everything that they're saying, everything that they're liking, everything that they eat, everywhere that they shop is being analyzed. Mm. And when you start talking about being a woman, being a black woman, you know, uh, uh, being the first in my family to do X, being yeah. uh, thrown into a situation where I'm trying to be the face of something that I'm just like, no, I just want to play. I just want to compete. I don't want to. Yeah. Naomi Osaka's yeah. situation is very interesting. Yeah. And I think that what has happened is that we brought this awareness to something that, um, that we all need to be talking about. We need to be talking about this. And, you know, I'll stop there. I have way more to say, but I won't yeah. stop there. And I ho- hopefully I answered your question. You did. And I think in part of doing that, I'm going to go back to the mental toughness and this idea of being hurt versus being injured, that maybe there was a longtime philosophy that you play hurt. Now, maybe all of this is calling that into question. Is that the wisest thing to do? Because why should people be retiring at age 18? Do you see what I mean? Because if you yeah. play hurt, the likelihood of your being injured and sometimes permanently so, you, is that a good cultural practice and, and culture here, meaning it, it, in the arena of sports? Now, with that being said, Josiah, in what you just shared, because Simone Biles uh, claimed she had the twisties, and it really did seem like that when you looked at the, uh, the vault that she did right before she made this decision with her coaches. Mm-hmm. So maybe she was pre-being hurt. It was this twisties. And her decision to say, my moving forward anymore is going to sustain injury. And her making that decision with her coaches on behalf of herself and her team, she did say this. Does that exhibit mental toughness? Do we, you know, I understand here. What's interesting is it's mental toughness, you say, is confidence, challenge, control, commitment. Simone Biles stayed throughout the entire competition. She Mm -hmm. didn't just bounce and she didn't go, okay, look, I'm going to just stay away. She stayed there with her team. Some people might question this commitment, right? I don't want to question the commitment, but I want to say, could her decision actually be refining and redefining this idea of what mental toughness truly is? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely definitely argument uh, for such, if you look at commitment, right, how long can you last? How long are you uh, committed to, uh, you know, being, uh, to executing the specific task at hand, right? Yeah. If Simone Biles knew she was not 100%, if she knew that she was uh, in danger of failing or worse, right, mm-hmm. does the American national team still get silver? If she says, you know what, I'm going, I'm going against what I think to be, I'm going against my gut, I'm going against my, my health, I don't think I'm right mentally, I'm still going to do it because I want to prove to everybody I'm tough, when I know something inherently is wrong, does the American national team still get silver? Do we even place if she, if, if, if because she's the best, right? She is the yeah. best. She's the best. So we're putting all our hopes, dreams, desires, and expectations on this woman and she knows that she's not right. And she says, you know what? I'm going to drop out. I'm going to let you ladies take it. We have a better shot if I'm not in the mix than if mm. I am. Because if I am in the mix, it's going to be a you-know-what show. Yeah. I don't know. Without yeah. us asking her that, you know, yeah. she might have saw the big picture. And no one's talking, no one's talking about that. Like, she yeah. might have saw the big picture and said, you know what? No, like... We need to place, and I am not myself. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, with that said, I do believe that there really is uh, some mental toughness there. And um, what's so interesting also, so the woman who did end up winning the gold for the individual all around was Suni Lee. Who yes. um, who stepped up in place? Well, actually, it wasn't. Suni Lee was going to be going alongside, um, and Suni Lee she went into the Olympics saying, "My goal is silver," because she assumed Simone is going to get gold. Mm-hmm. Now, Suni ended up getting um, the the gold. She's got an interesting background. She's proud of the Hmong people mm-hmm. who have experienced, especially 
uh, post-Vietnam War, a lot of exclusion within the United States. Her family has experienced a lot of trauma. This is Suni Lee. Over mm-hmm. the last few years, she's lost several family members to COVID-19. Her dad in 2019 was helping a neighbor climbed a ladder, fell, and is now paralyzed from the waist yeah. down. So there's Sad. been a lot of, of trauma again that's come in. And I keep underlying this trauma to remind everybody that these women are human. Yes. Not only are they dealing with the pandemic alongside the rest of the world, mm-hmm. but they're also being asked to be superhuman. But this is what Simone Biles said of Suni Lee. This is after Simone Biles exited. I admire Suni Lee's ability to take on anything that is thrown at her. Mm-hmm. And I, I, was, I was wrestling with that because I was like, wow, that is a bold statement for Simone Biles to make in mm-hmm. light of what she decided to do without any judgment on Simone Biles. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of transferring this interesting expectation. Now, I could be misreading that. I think I'm, I am. And I want to handle this delicately and with grace. But it was like Simone Biles had this both-and happening, recognizing her own limitations and then seeing in her teammate, right now, I can put this on her, meaning this, this expectation, if you will. Mm-hmm. And you, I, again, I could be misreading this, but what do you think of that? I, I'll read that quote again. Simone Biles on Suni Lee. I admire her ability to take on anything that is thrown at her. Yeah, that speaks to, you know, resiliency, the, the, uh, the ability to adapt, you know, which is huge. Uh, and some people might say, well, how come Simone Biles didn't do that? Right? Some people might say, why, well, why, why didn't she do that? We as human beings, we're trying to do a couple of things all the time. We are trying to make quality decisions and we're trying to manage our mood, emotions and our feelings all the time. Yeah. And if you can't make quality decisions, being able to manage your mood, emotions and feelings... Is hard. And if you can't manage your mood, emotions, and feelings, you're not going to make quality decisions. Yes. And so when you, I went to your question, you know, I feel like, you know, that's a great attribute that, uh, that Suni Lee has coming out of the mouth of Simone Biles. And, and, and Suni Lee is now in a position to contribute to her team. Um, and probably, a, a, I would call it what, <laughs> So let me say something real quick. Sometimes when you have high expectations on you, and we see this all the time in sports, sometimes when you have high expectations on you, those individuals actually will fail. They will falter. Conversely, when you have an athlete who uh, has very limited expectations of him or herself, or if no one is expecting anything of that individual, a fifth-round draft pick, you know, a backup quarterback, uh, you know, somebody who in this case, was shooting for silver. Sometimes those individuals just, they have no pressure. Yeah. And they, or they have... Uh, uh, less pressure. Less pressure, right? Reduced <laughs> yeah. pressure. And they can come I and shine. I think a little bit of pressure. <laughs> yeah, of course. Of course. So to, for, to, to your question, I think that the statement is a, a mature statement by Simone yeah. Biles. It speaks to uh, the resilience of uh, uh, Sunil Lee. And I just think that it... it it's, it's a very mature, and to use your word, just a bold statement by Simone Biles. Like, yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of good in, in that, yeah. in that whole situation. Yes. And, you know, I would tend to agree, again, knowing my background, as you probably have gathered from this conversation, is not in sports. I'm a cultural intelligence, tr- cultural intelligence trainer. Um, and, and looking at Simone Biles' emotional intelligence, which is what roots cultural intelligence. Mm -hmm. This idea that she can not only understand others and where they are, but also herself. That's the most important part, I think, about emotional and and therefore cultural intelligence. And her saying, okay, right now, I can't be the one to handle this, even though maybe that is her skill set. And she then transferred it over to Suni Lee and was able to say, okay, I I bequeath this to you. And Suni Lee Mm -hmm. did it. Uh, under t- tremendous duress. And, you know, even when looking at the mental health, the larger conversation, even Michael Phelps is, has spoken to all of this and he's created mm-hmm. a foundation. And a lot of people say that the foundation might end up being his true legacy because he's really looking at mental health in sports. Mm-hmm. But there's a question that came in um, from an audience that I, I polled both on online and my own culturally intelligent team. 
And one is this, there has been much debate over whether athletes are or even should be role models for younger generations. Mm. What's your opinion on the issue? Because I think ties in to what <laughs> oh, we've all been saying. Oh my goodness. I, the first thing I thought about was Chuck, a.k.a. Charles Barkley, Sir Charles. Oh. <laughs> right? Yeah. Man, I, listen, listen, I love Charles Barkley. I think he mm. is, I think he is in his own category. He's sure. polarizing. He pisses people off. He makes people laugh. Like, I love Charles Barkley, man. Yep. He said something a long time ago. Right, hmm. I don't agree with all the stuff that he does or says. I, I'm gonna just say that. But he says something a long time ago. He goes, you know, I'm not a role model. Parents should be role models, yeah. right? And <laughs> my my take on that is this: if you are a man or a woman of renown and you have a platform, period. If you have a platform, you are modeling. Okay, you are modeling what an individual in that platform should or should not do. Like it comes with the territory, man. It's like you're, if you're a leader, it doesn't matter if you are the best chef in the world. It doesn't matter if you are the best optometrist, chiropractor, basketball player, or gymnast in the world. That comes with a platform, whether you yeah. like it or not. It hmm. comes with it. Now, you may choose to abuse it. You may choose yeah, not sure. to use it. You may choose you know, to uh, you know, use it selfishly for yourself. But I'm telling you right now, if you are a person of renown and you are elite in your category, guess what? It comes with a platform. And yeah. you, at that point, get a chance to use it for the good, to the benefit of others, um, whether you like it or not. You know, it's just, it, that's just the way it works. If you, listen, I heard a wise man once say this. He said, listen, it doesn't matter if you decide to live in the jungle. If you are really good at what you do, they will beat down a path to come and find you. Hmm. People will beat down a path to come and find you for your gifts, for what you're good at. Yeah. So why would we not use our platform to help with future generations? That's my take. It's an interesting thing because, you, you know, Charles Barkley, of course, says the opposite, that parents, parents should be the role model. And maybe he's passing mm -hmm. the buck there. Who knows? Um, but this idea, though, that it happens inevitably if you have a public platform, people are going to. But again, this speaks to culture. This speaks mm -hmm. to should. That's the way culture has made it. But should it be that way? Should we be teaching our children, hey. These are people, for sure, they've got platforms, they've got voices, they have influence, they have money, they have all of these things. But should culture shift so maybe there's not so much influence and impression? Is that possible even to say to people, to children specifically, look, um, instead of, oh, well, let, let me say this, there's a guy on Facebook, and I, I don't even have his name, I'm so sorry, but he posted... Uh, that he showed his daughters the Carrie Strug video. And his mm -hmm. daughters are like nine or 10. And this guy is probably about our age. He was uh, a teenager uh, in the 90s. And he mm -hmm. was really impressed by Carrie Strug and, and her performance injured. Not hurt, injured. Mm -hmm. she, she performed injured mm -hmm. uh, and then permanently injured herself uh, from what I understand. But the daughters now in this new generation were looking at this video going, Dad, why isn't anybody listening to her? That's mm. not okay. She should have stopped. Mm -hmm. And I found that fascinating, fascinating that this younger generation, or at least those two girls, I can't say it's the entire generation, mm -hmm. were, were pushing back on this idea that you play hurt or injured, saying, no, it, that shouldn't have happened. That, that's not right. So what do you think about that? Let's go back to the definition. I love definitions yeah. because if you don't understand definitions, it's hard to grasp concepts. And, if, yeah. and if, if we can't speak conceptually, we can't even talk about the overarching philosophy, right? Yeah. So mental toughness is this ability to be able to overcome adversity, um, you know, in the midst of, in, of stressors, mm. right? Athletes stress Adversity is inherent with any yeah. high-level athlete. You are going to face fourth and five at some point, and if you don't get the first down, the game's over. Hmm. You are going to have to hit a couple of free throws, right, two free throws to give your team a shot because yeah. you're down by five. Yeah. 
right? Like, like these things happen. You're going to have to stick the landing, you know, to give your team a shot. Like these things happen. Stressors, adversity is inherent with any type of athletic situation. And so, you know, there's this digging, there's a fine line, right? There's a, there's, you know, there's a lot of people who are saying, oh man, she should have sucked it up, man. She should have got out there and just given her all. She has one opportunity. She let her team down. She let the nation down. Man, you only get this once every four years. Yeah. Yeah. Right? There's that yeah, there's absolutely. that line of thought. Yes. But at the end of the day, right? I'm not Simone Biles and neither are you. Yeah. We don't know what she's going we don't know what's going on in her mind mentally. Yeah. I don't know what Naomi Osaka was was navigating through mentally. I could yeah. guess. Sure. I could guess. I can and I probably could get close based on yeah. what they have shared publicly even post events. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you know, inherently in all athletes, we have this desire to overcome. That's why we train. When you look at athletes, right, why do we train? As a strength coach, I used to have athletes in the gym all the time. Why do we train? And I, I'll ask this question. I'll pull rooms. Why do you guys weight train? Why do, we, why do you train? Right? Oh, yeah. to get stronger. Oh, to have perseverance. Uh, you know, you hear all these answers, right? The answer to why you train as an athlete is so that you can overcome. That's mm. why you train. You train so that you can overcome. Overcome fatigue. Overcome your opponent. Overcome yourself in the waning moments of a back and forth basketball game. To overcome, you know, uh, 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 just w- whatever the case may be, just, uh, uh, just being out of shape, like, you know, who knows? Sure. The, game, the game may go to triple, quadruple overtime. We've seen that. And the reason why you train is so that you can overcome physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. And in all of her, of her training, in knowing herself, and you actually get to, a chance to know yourself. Yeah. You, don't, you don't think that Simone Biles trained? Yeah. Do we not think that Simone Biles trained? Yeah. She's highly decorated. Highly decorated. She's doing things that no one is doing, that no one has done. And so, you know, to your question about the, the girls, right? The two little girls saying, why did they do that? Why did they make her do that? Why did this happen? That's some serious emotional intelligence, you know, on, on their behalf. But at the end of the day, we're talking about physical. You cannot talk about mental things based on a physical output. Interesting. You can't. We can't talk about, we cannot talk about mental concepts and justify them with physical concepts. The two play play together, but sometimes you just, they're exclusive of one another. Yeah. So I think this then goes, because I think we're having a, a broad conversation about the cultural divide, that there are some people who are like, suck it up, do what you want, or, you know, do what you do what you have to do. And there is a whole other part of culture uh, that says, no, 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 she did the right thing. So let's go into mental health a little bit. And this is, uh, these are other questions that came in. Mm-hmm. What are some of the signs to look for, both for ourselves and our loved ones, that might help us identify a mental health need? That's and let's, let's situate this into the sports, right? Because I know we can go into a lot of different areas. Right. That's, those are great questions. Um, I mean, one of the things that you can do is just, you know, demeanor, right? Is this person more reserved than they usually are? Hmm. Right. One of the key markers of of any type of mental health situation is individuals start to withdraw more. Hmm. Right. They start to withdraw. They start to silo. They they they're not as as expressive. You'll see, uh, you know, a yo-yo effect in their attitude. Right. One day they're great. The other day that, Hmm. you know, they're saying things that are a little outlandish. Uh, They start to speak of darker things. Right. Um, Hmm. Maybe this world is better without me. Um, things that are hyperbole, right? Yeah. These are some of the things that we see uh, when we start talking about uh, in mental health and some of the symptoms, you know, that we'll see um, with individuals. Um, in, you know, increased alcohol and drug use, more risky behavior um, on behalf of these individuals who are experiencing these things. Uh, you know, abnormal food consumption or food restriction. Uh, 
Yeah. Um, these are some of the things that we see when it comes to, to, to mental health. And, mm-hmm. and, and the best thing that we can do <laughs> when we see these things is to ask, how yeah. are you doing? How is it? How is it? How is it really going? Yeah. Right. Um, how can I help you? Are you okay? Yeah. Those simple questions. Oh my gosh, they give a great runway for conversation. Yeah. And and they very much are universal when you're tapping into the emotional intelligence. People, when they feel seen and loved mm-hmm. and 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 like they have a voice, there is that sense of belonging. And the need to belong is actually universal. And on, the only mm-hmm. people who are excluded from that need to belong, this is Baumeister and Leary, mm-hmm. um, are people who are sociopathic or psychopathic, right? People who have that lack of empathy. So yes, I think, Dr. Josiah, what you're saying is amazing, and I appreciate that. And then let me ask some follow-up questions. Now, you kind of talked about this, the kind of uh, initial questions to ask. But what are the best ways overall to support those we love who have mental health needs? Yeah, so, um, you know, we definitely want to assess, right? So you also, you want, to, you want to assess. So when I say assess, we're talking about for suicidal ideation or sure. risk harm to themselves or others. So make sure that that person is not um, in that place. And the, and the easiest way you can do that is says, hey, have you ever thought of hurting yourself? Hmm. Ask them. Ask them straight up. Have you ever thought of hurting yourself? If they say yes, say, okay, how long have you had these thoughts? Right? Um, And you can kind of get into, you know, and and they'll tell you. And one of the things that I learned during this whole process is that I'm like, dude, I'm not going to ask my players that. I'm not going to ask an athlete that because I don't want to put it in their head. That's actually false. Because what happens is if when individuals are having these type of ideation, they want to talk about it. They actually want you to ask them that question. And what it does is it just opens up the floodgates for conversation and it takes the weight off of their shoulders. Uh, The next thing that you want to do is you want to just listen. Listen non-judgmentally. You know, just listen. Listen non-judgmentally. You know, and, and, you know, those are some of the, those are two things that you can do right off the bat. Um, you know, in terms of getting people help and then you can encourage professional help, um, you know, give them, uh, give them resources. You know, there are a plethora of like hotline numbers and individuals who deal, um, uh, in the, in the area of mental health. Uh, mm-hmm. If these individuals want to speak with somebody outside of, uh, you know, their circle, uh, yeah. and, and just, you know, just encourage them. Hey, I, I had an interview not too long ago and I said, the very first thing that people should do, like we're talking about Simone Biles, right? Yeah. The very first p- thing that people should do is say, hey, you know what? We love you. Yeah. We care and we're here. Yep. Like, I want to see you well. Right? Yeah. Not to diagnose, not to prescribe, not to break it down. Oh, man, she should have. Oh, dude, 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 dude be quiet. Be, just be quiet. Yes. Are you okay? We want to see you well. You know, and it's really easy to do that stuff. You know, yeah. and, and so those are some of the cursory things that I would give in, in the very beginning without getting into like, all right, this is what you should do, step A, B. Like, those are some of the cursory things I would, I would encourage the audience, audience with and, t- today. And look, some people actually need that. And, um, y- you know, Simone Biles, I'm trying to look up. This is what she said um, on July 28th on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Simone Biles writes, the outpouring love and support I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, which I never truly believed before. And I think in large part it was this public outpouring, as you're saying. This, these people who are encouraging her, who are coming alongside, who are saying, we support you, that we, we see you, we've got mm-hmm. you, kind of going with these two questions that you've just answered. But Josiah, when you say listen non-judgmentally, can you give an example of what that looks like? Because I think yes. a lot of people try to, but what does it actually look like? Well, this situation we're talking about. So if you were in the room with Simone Biles, hey, why did you, why did you, you know, what happened? Why did you quit? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? And then this individual, let's just say, you know, athlete X or person Y says, you know, I did it because of this and this and this reason. And then our immediate retort is, well, you should have... <laughs> <laughs> Fill in the blank. 
that is that is listening judgmentally. So when somebody, when some when when somebody has any type of trauma, uh, when somebody has, I just, I, I had a friend share some really tough news to me with me mm-hmm. today before this call, mm-hmm. okay, and I had to practice what I preach. So you asked me a question: How? What is an example? I had a friend share with me something like they they, they uh, you know, a tragic thing happened in their family. Mm-hmm. The easy thing to do is say, oh, well, you should have done this and, you know, you should have done this. The best thing that you can do is to be present. Yeah. I hear you. I am so sorry. Yeah. Man, that's tough. Yeah. And just be there. I heard somebody say, uh, one of uh, my good friends, former boss, mentor, Mike Sanfratello, he said something that I will never forget. He said, your presence is your ministry. Interesting. Just yeah. be present. Sometimes you yeah. just need to be, be there. Just be there. Yeah. yeah. And what I hear you saying in this non-judgmental is that you don't necessarily have to provide answers, solutions. You don't have to grill the person. You just have to let the person know, I'm here. I hear you. And that is, sounds, sounds hard. And I'm sorry. Absolutely. That, and that's what they need. Yeah. They're going to be, they're going to yo-yo. They're going to, they're going to be pissed. They're going to be angry. They're going to, they're going to share. People are ready when they are ready. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are going I to, love. they are ready when they are ready. Yes, you're right. And this might kind of lead into the, the last question from, um, which is what's some, not last question from the questions that came in. I should clarify. What's something surprising that we might not know about mel- mental health? I think that that's a great question. Yeah. I think that it goes back to the very beginning. Well, how I would answer this is the very beginning of our conversation, right? Yeah. When you look at something that is quote unquote healthy, it's something that's mm. free. It's free from sickness and or disease. And mm. many people look at mental health as this stigmatized, dark, ominous, oh, mental health. It's negative. It has a negative connotation to it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And guess what? The majority of the, like the clientele that I serve, the professional athletes that I work with, we're not talking about, you know, the deep, the dark, the dysfunctional, if you will. We're talking about how, how, how do we change our inputs, mm. right? So something that's interesting about mental health is that it's actually, it should not be a negative conversation. Yeah. When you start looking at the biopsychosocial model, which I absolutely love, the biopsychosocial model is, is presenting uh, solutions for us when it comes to you know mental health, right? Our biology. What? How do you improve your mental health? Your biology. What is your genetic IQ? What are some things that are um, resident in your family's history that you need to be mindful of in terms of you know diabetes, heart you know heart disease, uh, you know whatever the case may be, whatever your family might be predisposed to. How much biology, right? How much sleep are you getting? Nutrition, hydration. Mm-hmm. Are you taking the medicine that you're, you're supposed to be taking, mm-hmm. right? How active are you or proactive are you in those inputs? You start looking at the psycho part, right? Biopsycho, social, psycho, psychology. What are you doing for your mind? Are you reading? Are you praying? Are you meditating? Are you being mindful? Are you practicing visualization? Um, are you, uh, you know, are you playing music? Are you listening to good music? What are you doing for your mind? What are the inputs there? And then social, what does your environment look like? What does your living situation look like? Are you, are you able to get away and go and walk on the beach and to see green trees and to see the sunlight? Are you able to have a healthy environment? Because if your inputs are healthy, you're going to have healthy outputs most likely. So an interesting thing that we may not have known or we may not have considered because of the stigmatization of this word or these words, mental health, is that we can actually positively impact the inputs that will ultimately produce healthy outputs. And I think that we need to go... uh, and take another look at that because it should not, this should not be a negative conversation. Yeah. 
I really appreciate your breaking that down. And I do know in something I've read, I've, I've kind of, you know, I'm one of these research junkies and I'm just looking at everything that Simone, not everything, but a lot of what Simone Biles was saying. And she did mention that she hadn't been sleeping before she decided to pull out. And that, of mm-hmm. course, was contributing to her inability to focus in the way that she wanted to and knew that she needed to. So mm-hmm. you really do underscore, I think that's both bio- biological and maybe uh, the psycho. I think that's probably mm-hmm. both, if I'm yeah. correct. Yep. So when it comes to what's happening and, and you know, situating this conversation even into, again, I think culture is infused throughout expectations, mm-hmm. um, how we view mental health, how we view even champions that mm-hmm. is, you know, I grew up thinking, oh, they got the silver. Oh, they only got the bronze. Mm-hmm. That means you're the second or the third best in the entire world. Yes. And this whole idea of if it's not the gold, well then, psh, why are we even bothering? And I don't know if that's still the cultural norm, but can you speak to just culture in general, whether it be the divides or whether it be these expectations that are put on and, and how we bring more mental toughness into cultural expectations? Yes, yeah, a great question. Every culture, whether you're talking about, you know, um, ethnicity, um, nationality, um, even where, wherever you're situated on the globe has norms, right? They have norms. It's funny we call them norms, but they seem to change over time. Um, so every culture has norms. They have expectations, right? Every family has norms. They have expectations. And guess what happens when you don't meet expectations? There's, there's conflict and there's disappointment, yeah. right? My wife has an expectation of me to do certain things, and I of her. Yeah. And when they don't happen, it lets me down, and it lets her down. When your boss, when, my, when, when our employers... Uh, have expectations of us and we don't meet them, they get disappointed. They get let down. The same conversation to your question is had when you start talking about culture. Every culture has an expectation, right? There's a culture that we have in the military. There's a culture that we have in professional sports. And then you can break that down even more, right? The Mm -hmm. NFL has a culture. The WNBA has a culture. The NHL has a culture, and there are norms within every said group and expectations that if you don't meet them, you kind of let people down. Like, that's the way it is. That's the way humans are. Is it right or is it wrong? I don't know. Um, hmm. But when you start talking about, you know, mental toughness, there are cultural differences. I mean, my dissertation was on mental toughness in English and Spanish-speaking professional baseball players. And let me tell hmm. you, there are differences. There are differences based on my language, my native language, right? Where my language of origin, your uh, your language of origin determines, like Worf's theory theory basically says that my native language determines my worldview. Think about that. Yeah. So if I speak Chinese, my worldview is different than those who were born and raised in the United States, period. Hmm. It's different. Yeah. And then, and yet, I love what you're saying, Dr. Igano, because now we're looking at the Olympics. We're looking at a international, worldwide stage where it seems like, listen, I know that there's a lot of nuances here, but there's this collective expectation still for gold. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is not to contradict what you're saying whatsoever, but to say, bringing in this idea of the Olympics being what it is. Um, I guess maybe that's my my next question is, what do you think in terms of mental toughness and expectations on an international or global scale regarding the Olympics specifically? What do you think could change to benefit the players, to benefit the spectators, to benefit everybody involved? Right, and that's a great question. So when you start looking at mental toughness, let's look at those components. Can we get better? Is it is it, is it an added value for athletes, for coaches, for nations to have a deeper understanding of what it means to have commitment? I think that everybody would say yes. Could it be a value to have a deeper understanding of how we look at challenges? Mm-hmm. I would say that the answer is yes. How about control? How about confidence? I would say the answer is yes, universally. So now we take that 
take those concepts rather and we apply it to, to culture. Mm-hmm. Is this healthy? Is the way that uh, you are treating your athletes, male and female, veteran and rookie, is it healthy? Yes or no? Because if it's not, then why, why do we continue to feed it? Hmm. If it's not, why do we continue to, you know, perpetuate these things? This is a different concept or this, is a, uh, this could be a different podcast, but go and look at, we're talking about Naomi Osaka. We're talking about Simone Biles. Go and look at what happened with Andre Agassi. Yeah. Go look at what happened with Ichiro. Talk, we're talking again. We're talking about a culture, the cultural ramifications of what we think it means to be mentally tough. Yeah. Right. Look at look at these things. They're, they're culturally we have we have the collectivistic societies, right? We have societies in which the group is held yeah. on a on a on a platform on a pedestal. Don't ever put yourself ahead of the group. Then you have individualistic societies, much like the West, where you better go get yours when you can and be the best, and you might have to step on some people to get there. Yeah. Again, I'm being broad here. You know, sure, sure. May, maybe a little tongue-in-cheek, but, but culturally, these things are always at play. Yeah. So somebody who has an external locus of control, they attribute their success and or failure to things outside of them, right? Yeah. Luck, chance, deity, Right? Si Dios quiere, if God wills. Yeah. Right? They put all of somebody who has a high locus of, of external control puts it on something or someone, something outside of themselves. Hmm. Whereas somebody who has an individualistic or an internal locus of control says, you know what? I got this. It's all on me. I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to win it. And these are cultural norms in certain areas of our globe as we know it. I really, really appreciate your breaking down the external and internal locus of control and how that really can define and looking at all of the other aspects of how we identify, how cultures identify, how, um, you know, and, and how that infuses throughout different aspects of humanity, of sportsmanship, all of these things. So I want to turn the tables on you and do something that you did for me when I was uh, a guest on your podcast, which is this one, of course. And I'm going to give you three words. Uh Uh-oh. And after you hear these three words, I want you to give me the one word that comes to mind after you hear these three words. Okay. Does that sound good? Yep. All right. So here are the three words. Health, competition, champion. That's health, competition, and champion. I look at that and I see the word continuum. Hmm. Continuum. Because if you are healthy, if you're healthy physically, if you're healthy spiritually, psychologically, biologically, if you're healthy, you can compete at a high level. Competition brings out the best. I love competition. A a competitive trait is one of the traits that I look for in athletes. Because an individual who is is uh, competitive, they bring out the best versions of themselves when they are presented with an opponent, with a stressor, with some type of adversity. So when someone is healthy, physically, spiritually, psychologically, you name it, it puts him or her in a better position to compete. Mm -hmm. And when that person is in a great position to compete, they have a great opportunity to be a champion. Can I share with you real quick what the word champion means? Yes, please do. Many people think, oh, champion, oh, you're the first. It's, it's, It's the crowning victor of uh, a tournament or a series of events that culminates in a championship game. That's what we think when we think about this word champion. Now, when you go back and you study like the Hebrew, right, the word champion, we all have heard the story of David and Goliath, right? That's actually 
a real military strategy. The word champion means the man of the space in between, the woman of the space in between. And what would happen is that these militaries would line up in these valleys or they would line up in an open area and their champion would come out and fight. The champion represented the nation. The champion represented all of the tribes. The champion was one individual who carried the weight of the world, the weight of their village, the weight of their country, the weight of that armed forces on their back. And that individual would go out and fight the other champion. And it was a way in which they would save innocent bloodshed. So you look at the story of David and Goliath. Oh, send a man to fight me. Oh, David comes out there and we all know what happens. Right? Hmm. That's what that word means. It's not necessarily, because I think, I think that we dilute that word in today's day and age where a champion is somebody who you know, has a championship ring. That yeah. person won a series yeah. of events that culminated in a championship game yeah. where the true meaning of that word is the man of the space in between, the woman of the space in between. That individual is literally championing an effort, a cause, and standing in the space for all. Hmm. So when you look at Simone Biles... When you look at all of these individuals that we've talked about today and others that we haven't even mentioned who aren't necessarily walking away with the championship ring, they are champions because they are standing in the space in between. Yeah. I think you said it. This is, this is it. And Simone Biles, her legacy now is going to be even more of that of an Olympic gold medalist, of which she already is. And she even said that to her teammates. She said, ladies, I have already got, a, a, I've already been to the Olympics. I've already got this. This is your time now. And she stood in that space in between and she did it. And there's a, a quote by Yvette Dion. She says, it's impossible to understand the pressure Simone Biles, the greatest gymnast in the history of the sport, and Naomi Osaka are feeling. But we're lucky to live in a time where young black trailblazers are publicly prioritizing their mental health above all else. That's power. And you think it's not just being the winner. It's as you say, Dr. Goli uh, Dr. Goliath, Dr. Goliath, Dr. Igano, <laughs> the man or the woman of this space in between. I appreciate that. And I think that's really culminates into something quite substantial as it relates to Biles and Osaka and so many other people we brought up. So how would you like to uh, close this out? What would you like to share as your final words, even though what you just said was quite profound? So yeah, well, I'd I leave the floor I, to you. Oh, thank you. No, I, I, th I thought it was great. I thought, uh, Renee, you did a great job in just presenting some thought-provoking um, questions and, and gathering questions from those that would want to better themselves. And so I say thank you to you for that. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I know that my calling is to work with athletes. Uh, when I graduated at 21 years old, I was 21 years old, and I knew that I was going to be working with athletes. And I knew my mission statement became that I wanted to challenge athletes mentally, to encourage them spiritually, and to train them physically. And I've been doing that um, for a number of years. And for, for me, I believe that this is a great conversation. This whole thing, all these subjects that we've talked about, these are great conversations because I love seeing what people do in stressful situations. I love it. Not in a sadistic way. I want to see what that individual is made of at, this, at those critical junctures in their, uh, in their craft. I love that stuff, right? So this, when we start talking about mental toughness, um, as, a, as a former athlete, as a coach, and, and one who advises those who are the architects of the athletic experience, I get it. I, want, I, I, I understand that you want to see people power through. I understand it. I get it. However, however, there is a huge opportunity that we are missing if we do not stop and look at the burning bush and say, you know what? We need to talk about this. We need to talk about this. Because guess what? All of the individuals who are performing in the Olympics, who are performing, you know, on big stages, whether they are athletes or, or otherwise, 
they can be superman, superwoman at what they do. But guess what? They are fully human. And if you do not address those elements that make us fully human, you are missing out on a huge opportunity. And this conversation allows us to, to dig deep and to help others in the process. Yes. Yes, here, here, and you say the burning bush, and that's holy, and acknowledging it changes the world. Yeah. So thank you, Dr. Igano. This has been an honor, a delight to hear you, to hear your perspective, to dig deeper into a lot of the different things that are happening, happening culturally in sports and beyond. So thank you so much. Thank you, Renee, and hopefully this uh, blesses a lot of people out there. And thank you, audience. You guys have a great day. <laughs>